Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, Bailey Hancock here. Welcome back. We have one of my favorite people today, Rachel King. She is the founder of Pod People, a hub for the world's best independent producers and studios. And she's also a dog mom to a shelter mutt named Butters and happens to love whiskey that burns a little on the way down, which we do not share in common, <laughs> but I love her anyway. Rachel, welcome to the party. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah, so I, I love Rachel because we became Twitter friends before we became IRL friends. Mm -hmm. And it was back during my days working at General Assembly when I was running partnerships and marketing. And she worked for Dog Vacay at the time, RIP Dog Vacay. And yeah. uh, I reached out because our offices were near each other. And I was like, hey, you're cool. We're cool. We should be friends. And, and it worked. I was like, we should be friends. That would be perfect. awesome. And, and here we are. are. Yeah, like many years later. later. Four years later already. Crazy. Um, and so the more I got to know Rachel, the more I realized she's this dynamic, really cool, fascinating person that has all these nuggets of interesting bits to her career story. So I knew I had to have her on because she's both worked for companies and she now has her own company, which is the second one she's launched since the last couple of years. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rachel, I like to start out. What did little Rachel want to be when she grew up? Oh, I wanted to be an author, which is funny because now writing is my least favorite part of my job. I was just working on a show and was writing the scripts for like the voiceover. And I was like, oh my God, next time I'm definitely hiring someone to do this because I hate it. What did you think you liked about it back then? What did you imagine? Uh, it to be? Well, I mean, I was thinking about fiction too. I think I just loved reading so much. I, and people do this a lot because they like something, they really like something, they're like, I should guess I should do that thing instead of just enjoying it. Like, I love cooking, but I don't wanna be a chef. Um, and, and so I think there's an important, like you should always have that really candid conversation with yourself before you decide to, you know, you, like you've talked about this before, like turning your passion into your job is very dangerous. It is, it sucks the joy right out of it most Yeah, times. most times. And yeah. not all passions are meant to be monetized and like right. you're not always good at your passion, which is a real bummer to realize, but yeah. you know, taking yeah. something pro is a whole different scenario than doing it for fun. Well, that's exactly. So you realize that early on maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I don't know. I think I, like I took creative writing and everything in high school and then by the time I got to college, I was like, I don't know. I wanted to go to journalism, but I had taken the wrong classes. Uh, like UNC was like, if you want to go to our journalism school, here are all the classes that you should have taken in freshman year. And it was not relevant at all. It was like, you had to have taken chemistry, whereas I took biology because I love life science and just really stupid things. And so I would have had to redo my freshman year, which was not an option financially, but just also in my heart, I was like, absolutely not. Am I doing an extra year of school? Uh, so yeah, didn't happen. What did you end up switching to? Psychology and international politics, oh. which was much more interesting and arguably use a psych degree in anything that you do. So. You know, I have more people tell me that they ended up getting a psychology degree in college that have gone on to do completely different things, but it mm -hmm. does come up a lot in career coaches, which I guess yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I don't know what I want to do. My mom gave me some of the best advice ever. She was like, just take classes that you're genuinely interested in because that will uh, make you like 
thousand times more likely to go to class and to get pay attention and get good grades. So. Yeah, no, for sure. That's fantastic advice. And like, I think so many college students assume that they have to be on the track from day one and they have to yeah. be the exact. And it's like, I feel like majors are kind of just a suggestion. <laughs> they are. And like, so it means that you took nine classes of right. something instead of three. Like at the end of the day, I don't know how much more you actually learned about the thing, especially at that age when you are hung over every day and sleeping through class and like not really able to appreciate it. Um, if a master's is a different thing. And if I went, I was talking to someone now, I'm like, college is so wasted on your 19 year old self. Cause if Seriously. someone now would let me, like if there was, yeah, of course I could go back to school, but I don't know what it would really do for me. Um, but if, I don't know, now I'd be like, so into it. Like every time I take a workshop or something now, I'm like, yes, learning, which I, I did know. not have as a teenager. It's so funny. I was talking to somebody about that uh, the other day about how like we just used to blow off class or pay, like hope that we would get let out early. And we just did not take advantage of the amazing learning opportunity. No. And when you think about how much each class cost, like I wish someone had broken it down for me and was like, just so you know, every single class costs you $85 and, or probably a couple hundred. I don't yeah. know. And if you, and you will be paying it off for the next 40 years of your life. So maybe don't skip. Maybe like pay attention and don't play Yahtzee on your computer. Like I did yeah. for half of my classes. Oh, snood. Remember snood? Oh, I never got down on snood. Oh, it was great. It was a computer game. So it was, that was more like of a time waster when I should have been writing papers or whatever it may be. But I lost a lot of hours to snooze around <laughs> that, that age. So what'd you end up doing when you got out of school? I bartended for a year, which was awesome. Uh, and then I decided I wanted to move to DC. So I moved, crashed on a friend's couch for a month until I found a job as an administrative assistant for a real estate company. And that paid my rent for a year or two. Uh, got so bored, I wanted to blow my brains out. Started a blog because so bored, I wanted to blow my brains out. And this was back when like blogging was just on the scene. And so we had like a hip, small crew on the internet who were like the original lifestyle bloggers. Um, and then I decided I wanted to get a job that was more interesting and put my international politics degree to use. So I became an administrative assistant at the International Monetary Fund in the legal mm -hmm. department, which was also boring. And, uh, I mean, I guess it was kind of interesting because it was like when Iceland and Greece were going through their massive meltdowns. Um, um so that was kind of cool. Also the president at the time, Dominic Strauss-Kahn, like got caught for all kinds of shady, like he was, you know, boning all his assistants and giving them raises. And so all of that had to be like that prosecution had to go through the legal department. And those oh, are so you got a front row seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that part was kind of interesting, but at the end of the day, I was still like putting binders together and doing expense yeah. reports. So I, the nice thing about the international monetary fund is because it's an international company. They operate that way in terms of like vacation and like expectations for productivity are just real low. And if someone's not at their desk, <laughs> the question is not like, when will they be back? It's, are they in the office today? Because we had eight weeks of vacation Oh my God. Uh, yeah, it was five weeks of vacation and three weeks of sick time. And if you were from a different country, which most people were, you got an additional two weeks of home leave. Wow. So two and a half months a year that you could potentially not be at your desk without 
taking any extra time. I feel like um, that's setting real unrealistic unre- expectations for a recent college grad. Yeah. Jobs are. <laughs> I know. Uh, but I really used the time because, you know, I had, I was smart. So I had a lot of downtime. Um, and so I got a couple of internships. Oh, okay. Here's what happened. MTV reached out to me because I was waiting for this piece of the story to show up. (laughs) Right. MTV reached out to me because they had uh, decided they wanted to hire a TJ, which is a Twitter jockey. I believe they did this one (laughs) only once. Um, And it was just, you know, it was a PR stunt and a smart one. So yeah, they reached out and found 20 people who had great blogs and social followings uh, to compete digitally to become MTV's first Twitter jockey. And it was like a hundred thousand dollar paycheck and we'll move you to New York and whatever. The problem is I don't know anything about music or like pop culture. I'm like not super up to date. I'm kind of like stuck in the eighties and (laughs) nineties. And so I would have been terrible at the job, but I thought it was fun. And like, what else did I have going on? So I did compete in it. And the main reason it was valuable is because it, it showed me that like you could do social media as a job, like that could be a career. And what year are we in right now? Uh, this is like 2010, I want to say. That sounds right. 2010. And, you know, at that point I'd had my blog and everything for two or three years and it had, you know, grown substantially. And so I was like, yes, I want to do this professionally. How can I do that while I'm working here and collecting my paycheck? So I found some like remote internships. Uh, I did one for the Nature Conservancy. I had uh, my local watering hole, my bar that had like terrible social media. I was like, let me fix this for you. They all do still. Still, this is, I know this is eight years ago. Um, She's like, sure. And like gave me, you know, the passwords to all of their social media. And I started like driving people in for happy hour and sharing their promotions and um, all of that good stuff. And there was a social media club, it's a national organization, international, I believe, that uh, has chapters in each city. So I joined the DC chapter and then became the events manager and then became the president and was like running the show and putting on events for the community. And after all of that added up, I had a decent resume and got hired uh, by an advertising agency in DC to work, do social media for their clients, primarily the National Guard. Uh, Hmm. So I was teaching them the 54 marketing officers uh, representing each of the states and territories, how to use social media as a recruitment tool. Wow. They're still sitting in malls. And that's really intimidating for a kid who's thinking about joining the army or the National Guard to like walk up to a soldier is very intimidating. So helping them get their like Facebook pages, uh, most of them didn't even have one. Um, and so by the time we finished that program, they were all, almost all, I think I, I didn't, I never got Guam. <laughs> Frustrating, couldn't get all 54, but we got, I think it was like 50 by the end of the, the program who were on, on there and like using it successfully to uh, field questions and you know, recruit potential new soldiers. What was your original blog topic? Uh, it was just my life and the stupid drunk things I did as a 24-year-old. <laughs> did it have a name? Yeah. It was Live It, Love It at first, which is just the most basic. Oh, yeah. Bit. I know. I, <laughs> and then it changed to the Southified Mass Hole for a while, <laughs> which no one got. No one understood. Because when you read it, you couldn't really tell what it is. But is I'm that like 
a southern a person from Massachusetts yeah, with southern qualities in North Carolina and like became, you know was instructed in the ways of southern gentility um, <laughs> softened my masshole rough edges not not super softened let's not get crazy. no not yeah. too much she's still got to be strong but yeah. Uh, yeah definitely it was good it was a good experience I think everyone should go to school somewhere completely different from where they grew up yeah, it's a smart idea. I mean, you get different perspectives and just cultural shifts and all of that just helps expand your mind when clearly you're skipping class anyway, so you need a little help. Right, you need something. <laughs> yeah, cultural education at least. So at this point now, are you still working at the company with all of the amazing leave and doing these internships? What's happening next? Um, yeah, so I was at the ad agency for oh, a couple right. years and it was awesome. And I learned so much and like, will forever be grateful to those bosses for, you know, taking a chance on me, um, and helping me like make that career shift. And after I was there for a couple years and then, you know, had been in DC for five years and just needed a change of scenery. So I was applying for jobs in New York and Chicago and San Francisco and landed one or two in each city. But and so I was like deciding where to go. And were these social media jobs that you were applying for? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One was a recruitment job, which is interesting. I just, I love connecting people to opportunities and each other. So I always felt like that might be a good fit, but it was in New York, which is so expensive and also not that far from home, which, True. you know, I, I always love like the bigger, the adventure, the better. And yeah. And it was like, you work on commission. So your base salary is really low. And that was just terrifying to me, um, especially being in such an expensive city. So I didn't make that jump. And the other jobs were, yeah, still in social media and communications. And um, the one that I ended up taking was through a Twitter friend, uh, Lauren Friedman, favorite human in San Francisco with Adobe on her social strategy team. So we were, most people don't know this, but Adobe has like a social media department where clients like Levi's and Hyatt and Safeway were the ones that I was working on at the time. Uh, clients can purchase the Adobe social suite for measurement and publishing and all that good stuff, but then also human consulting services to do the strategy and execution for them. So I was on ah. that team. Mm -hmm. So you went from running a blog to kind of getting a little chance to try out the social media for a couple internships landing in this ad agency, and then now here you are giving consulting advice on social media. Yeah, yeah. Very solid journey. It was. I was. I did not like being at a large company, though. Um, Lauren was incredible. She's probably remains the best manager I ever had, and it was so much fun working together, and she's one of my best friends to this day. So it was great for that, but I just did not like being a cog in a giant machine. Um, and I was in San Francisco, land of startups. So I started sniffing around for the next opportunity. And that was to be head of social and managing the city and community managers for Sidecar, which was an Uber and Lyft competitor uh, way back when they had all just started. Um, and we were, you know, we were neck and neck with Lyft when I joined and then things went wrong to, uh, <laughs> to put it mildly, but it was a great experience because it was just me and another incredible boss, Margaret Ryan, our head of communications, uh, who is also an awesome friend. And, um, you know, I just, I'm so grateful for the year or two I spent under her because she introduced me to more traditional PR and other forms of communications. But the two of us were doing everything 
everything that was like soft marketing, everything outside of user acquisition, you know, events and influencer marketing. And I did all of our emails, which is insane now knowing like the science that goes, goes into, into true email marketing. And I was just like, this sounds funny. Let's put a <laughs> GIF in. Um, but it was, it was fun and it was great experience because I got to do so many different things, which led to me landing the job at Dog Vacay as head of communications, which is when we met. So how did you end up at Dog Vacay? Who kind of, I mean, I always am interested in like who you've obviously pointed out two incredible bosses so far, which is amazing to have two in your life. I yeah. feel like that's special. Um, if you're lucky to even have one good one that helps introduce you to new elements of your job that you didn't have previous experience, previous experience doing, mm -hmm. because if you, like a lot of people end up, I feel like doing the same role over and over again, and they're not adding new tools to their. Toolkit. I would go crazy. I would blow yeah. my brains out. And so I can't. you got you started with the social, and then added in more of the traditional PR elements. Mm -hmm. But you were given that opportunity by somebody who was like, "Hey, I'll show you the ropes. We're going to do this together." Yeah. Well, unselfishly, um, she needed my help because totally. there were only two of us. But yeah, it, and she was always so so good about that. She would include me in really high level meetings and. Um, even if I wasn't in the meeting, she would like share everything with me and she was, you know, an SVP. So, um, that was just such a great experience to see how decisions are made and like how to build a company and some lessons about what not to do and, uh, you know, leadership things that work and things that don't. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic experience. Uh, but it did, it got to the point where you know, it had sort of become clear that we were losing out to our competitors. And uh, I had a boyfriend at the time who really wanted to move back down to Southern California. So I was like, all right, if I find the dream job, we'll go, we'll move down to LA. Um, Cause we'd visited a few times and I realized that everyone in San Francisco was lying about <laughs> LA being terrible. It's actually amazing. It's the most wonderful place on earth. Um, so we had, They're you know, just I, jealous up there. I know, I know. And I get it. Um, so we, I started looking and I obviously being in the sharing economy space and marketplaces was aware of dog vacay. And when I saw the head of comms role pop up, you know, I knew it was going to be a stretch, but I reached out to the recruiter who was handling it. Who I might have introduced you. I've introduced a lot of people to her. Her name's Donna White and she's here in LA and she's the best human. If you have any recruiting needs or are looking for a job, uh, she's your gal for I startups. I should probably have her on here. Mm -hmm. You should. <laughs> she's, oh, I love her so much. Actually, I'm overdue. I should reach out to her for coffee. Um, but she uh, was really, she just, I think she liked me. I liked her. And even though I was a little bit underqualified for the job, she kind of went to bat for me to get me an interview. Um, and so I lied and told them that I lived in LA part of the time and just to let me know when the interview would be. And I just make sure I was in LA for that week, uh, which was total BS. <laughs> and I, um, went, uh, so what she like set up the interviews on a Wednesday and I was like, great, sounds good. Yeah. I'll be in LA all week. And then flew down Tuesday night, crashed with a friend uh, who had also worked with, with at Sidecar, actually, and she had moved from Chicago to LA. So I crashed on her couch, went to the interviews Wednesday morning. They, you know, met with a bunch of people. I think they all went well, and then flew home Wednesday afternoon. As I was getting off the plane at SFO, the recruiter called me and she's like, went great. They really love you. You're here all week, right? 
Oh God. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, great. We'd love to have you come in on Friday to meet the CEO and a couple of the other like high up execs. And I was like, perfect. I will see you then. Couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. <laughs> so my boyfriend and I spent Thursday night driving down oh, to gosh. LA and we had been planning to go somewhere else for the weekend. So we changed our plans to Venice and got an Airbnb and uh, made it down Thursday I don't know, at like Friday, like two in the morning. Um, and I went in Friday morning. I was sick too. Oh man, it was just so many things. Went in Friday morning, foggy headed and on lots of day quill. And, uh, you know, had an interview with the CEO and a couple other folks. And then I waited for, I think, two like agonizing weeks. And oh. the recruiter, and I had no expectations of getting sure, it. But you like know, when I, things happen quickly in the beginning, right? just get used to that pace. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure they were interviewing other people and definitely had more qualified candidates, but she called me, I was out to drinks with a bunch of girlfriends in San Francisco and she called me to tell me that I got it. And I immediately started bawling. It was oh. such a, it was a huge raise too. And so, and I was with all my a bunch of girlfriends, which was, it was like very bittersweet because they knew this meant I was leaving, but they were also obviously really excited for me. So was that's kind moment. of the best case scenario for getting that call is being yeah. by all of your favorite people. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was great. And then we moved down a couple weeks later. I mean, that's, we that's like a huge jump for you too. And I think what, what about your recruiter do you think made you connect with her? Like, and what made her go out on a limb for you? Do you think? Yeah. We're like, both just like no bullshit. We are straight shooters and like, yes, I talked myself up obviously, but I was just also very candid with her. And I think we both, um, really appreciate that in each other. Like I, that's something, I don't know. That's like the mass hole in me. I just always recognize when someone is just there, like, honest self and very open and, um, easy to talk to. Like that's my kind of person. She's my kind of gal. And so, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, she, one of the things she's written a couple great medium posts about this too, is like finding the right person with potential is so much more important than like the right pedigree. And, and she just, as a recruiter, you know, I suppose she has to be good at this, but she's really good at recognizing the person, the right kind of person who will, you know, grow into a role in a, in a special way and, and has the right character, but maybe not all of the skills and, you know, those can be taught. Right. Uh, yeah. The, I forget who, who at Zappos might've been the CEO wrote a medium post too, about how he never hires somebody for a role. Who's been doing that exact role for years and years before, because getting fresh perspective and getting somebody in the role to bring something new to it is so valuable for the company and mm. it helps people, you know, continue to level up in their careers instead of being stagnant and getting stuck at like a manager level, say in social media for years and years at every job they go to. Yeah. Yeah. I would never do. I, I get so bored after a couple of years too. Like I can't remember the last time I was at a job for longer than two years. I never have, except for TGI Fridays as a server in <laughs> high school. I was there for four years, but I made a lot. I made really good money, especially for high school. And it was oh, fun. Yeah. It was like a weird, fun, like I'm We've talked friends. about this. I'm yeah, a I'm still friends with those people. Employees. I was a smiley people greeter. And for Me those too, of you not, SPG. SPG, for those of you not uh, in the 
Friday's culture. That's <laughs> called family. hostess. I wonder if they still call it that. And were you, did they still have flair when so you were there? I, I came in as the flair was phasing out and they were going all black. So I was really sad though, because I was 16. Me too. I was like so stoked on having suspended. I'd already picked up some of my flair. I had all of my buttons ready. So while I, I was a host, they still had flair. And then right before I turned 18 and became a server, they changed to a black polos. And I yeah. was so bummed. I know. We really missed our opportunity we did. there. We but did. Alas. Yeah, I guess we could still age. wear flair. I don't know. Maybe we'll make it a thing. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. I, I also have not had super long trajectories at companies. It's like three years or under. Yeah. And I think we're lucky in the sense that that's so much more common nowadays that yeah. I think companies and managers and hiring managers specifically are starting to recognize that, oh, that doesn't mean you're going to be a shitty employee that's a flight risk. It means you have a variety of experience. It means you do need to be challenged. You do need to be given new experiences constantly. And I think it's just, I mean, it's more so on the employee to take initiative and keep it yeah. engaged. It can't all be like looking to your manager being like, I'm bored. What do I do? Give me more work. Right. It's got to go both ways. Absolutely. But I think we're lucky in that there are more opportunities, but dog vacay was your last real job. job. So That's tell us about job. that. What made you make the switch? Um, I just got to the point where I couldn't work for other people anymore. And I always knew it would happen. So I looked at my 20s as like collecting work experience, working at different kinds of companies for different kinds of bosses and like learning as much as I could. Um, and then I went to Big Bear. Oh, the company already was sort of shifting from when I joined, it was like much more about like building an amazing brand. And so communications was really important and like, most of the country had not ever heard of dog vacay. So PR was, you know, super crucial. And then uh, as we started, you know, had a competitor pop up and was more concerned with like staying ahead of them, it sort of switched to like user acquisition is the only thing that matters and like the numbers game, which I totally get. But for me was just not as exciting. At, like I wanted to be at a company where the thing I was doing was the most important <laughs> just because <laughs> yeah. that's, I don't know. That's like, yeah. Uh, and so when that shifted away and I'd been there for almost a couple of years, I think, um, I, you know, I was like, okay, it's time maybe to try something different. And then I was in big bear with some friends in the fall of 2015. And we, maybe took some hallucinogens, <laughs> climbed a mountain, and it was super fun. But while we were tripping our faces off, I was like, I am like at the top of a mountain. And I was just like, I have to quit my job. Like it's time. And they were like, great, do it. Cool. So <laughs> I spent the next couple months, um, drumming up clients and starting to freelance. And in November of 2015, a couple months later, I put in my notice and left to go out on my own. And it was absolutely terrifying, uh, but it worked because, you know, the PR is something that startups need and they oftentimes are looking to hire a freelancer as opposed to a permanent person or an agency. So I fit into that really especially because I love working with more early stage companies. Um, and so a freelancer is a great fit for them. Right. They so, can't afford you full time. Yeah. Right. And I don't want to be there full time. So it works out well. Um, so I've worked with a ton of different companies and I think six months in to running my own firm as a freelancer, I was just overwhelmed. I had taken on too many clients. 
uh, as people do because you're nervous about money and I wasn't charging enough and I did everything wrong that people do mm -hmm. when they start their first business. But I fortunately had um, an awesome, I guess, colleague. She was a head of PR at a, another startup and I knew she was not happy. And so I started courting her and it took mm -hmm. a few months to convince her to leave her job and come with me and we've you know formed an official like llc like an actual agency and uh worked together for the next uh year and a half um until december of last year it still exists but we both decided while we were just raking it in and making a ton of money <laughs> We decided, both decided that we had gotten bored of PR and didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> and it was heartbreaking because I loved working with her so much and we were making such great money and loved the clients we were working with, but just not the thing we were doing for them anymore. What made you lose that love and feeling, you think? I mean, honestly, the state of media today, like I'm pitching journalists and journalists are miserable because their job is not what it used to be. You know, they're under pressure to write a zillion stories and they don't have time. They're not given time to like fact check, check, fact check them the way they used to. And, you know, they used to be want, I think a lot of them went into this wanting to write like really thoughtful, longer pieces that take research and time. And now, you know, media companies are all about those ad dollars and the snackable content. Yeah. And so they are miserable and getting, and also like everyone and their mom figured out how to find like a journalist's email. So they're getting <laughs> thousands of just crap emails, pitches every week. And so it got harder and harder to sort of break through. And all the people that I had relationships with got sick of it and left. Mm. So, you know, I was like, this just isn't. It used to be fun because I used to have relationships with all the journalists and I knew what they were working on and we'd, you know, worked together, had a great working relationship. Um, and that has sort of disappeared. So you feel like PR is changing significantly now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's still, I think it's fun if you are working for a company that has a big enough name that people want to write about it. But so if you're at like a Google or a Facebook and you're in the Airbnb, like you still have that opportunity to control the narrative and do fun stunts and um, events and partnerships. And I did like all of that. But again, I don't want to work for a big company. Right. So that is sort of the issue for me. Um, working for a smaller company, like it's just gotten to the point where there's so much noise. Getting them coverage is really hard, really hard. These days. Do you have a, do you have a favorite bit of coverage that you ever got a client or your favorite activation? Yes. There was Aaron Griffith wrote a piece about dog vacay that started off listing the names of all the dogs in the dog's office. Oh man. And the piece itself is great too. Also Michael, uh, um, oh no, I'm breaking on his last name. Carney, Michael Carney at, um, He's now at a VC firm, but he was at, see, he left, uh, mm -hmm. but he was at Pando Daily at the time. And he wrote just a hilarious, really awesome piece about dog vacay. And I mean, I was working with dogs. Also, one time we just needed to drum up some coverage in like consumery outlets, like Refinery29 and people and whatever. So my, our PR firm that we were working with at dog vacay was like, people love Disney. Can we do anything with that? And so we took 
the dogs in our office and had a day long photo shoot where we were putting them in various <laughs> costumes that I had ordered off of Amazon and Etsy. And so it was like a dogs in princess outfits shoot. We had a Cinderella and a Snow White and this is before Frozen or, oh no, it wasn't. Butters was Elsa from Frozen. <laughs> I have that photo. I'll send it to you. Um, but that was so much fun. So doing stuff like that and just working, I'm a crazy dog lady. So working with dogs, um, I mean, really fun stuff at dog vacay on our marketing team. So good. One, I mean, the activation that I talk about still to this day, three or four years later, my favorite partnership I ever did was with GA and dog vacay. And that mm -hmm. sprung from me and Rachel's coffee. We did yappy hours, which were dog friendly, mm -hmm. happy hours where people could bring their dogs to GA have some free booze. We always had great local partners. We had a dog, like um, we did a Valentine's Day one and we had a puppy kissing booth where- mm -hmm. I it, love that one. And then we it did dog so friendly stupid. ice cream. It was like, it was just one of those things. I'm not even a big dog person. I'm definitely a cat lady. My cat Fiona is screaming at me at my feet right now because I'm not getting <laughs> attention. Um, but like, come on. It was, it was yeah. like a license to be stupid cute. And yep. so, and you know, I talk about it as a collaboration that I love because at first glance, a tech business and design education company and a dog watching, walking company, what the right. hell do they have what in common? What do they have in common? Yeah. The middle piece of the Venn diagram were the same customers. Mm -hmm. And so that's my favorite example to use with my collaboration consulting clients, because it's like, think outside of what you, you know, presume to know about the people that you're trying to target and just have a great time. Give people a chance to talk about something on social without you having to ask, like mm -hmm. give them a reason to share it, which is the gold, right? With any kind yeah. of PR partnerships. Dogs are great for that. So fun. Yeah. People shared those pictures forever. Yeah. And it was well, the, the kissing booth was the magic. Oh I mean, God. it was well, so, and then, we had a puppy there. We had a bunch of puppies, right? Oh, Adoptable right. puppy. With a mm -hmm. adoption service. Best friends or wagon walks. Yeah. Wagon walks. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, so, so cute. Th those were good days because it was like, I knew in the moment, just talking about careers and getting bored, I knew in the moment that that was a special phase of my career that mm -hmm. felt like it was too good to be true. It just felt so fun. Yeah. So creative. And back then in the beginning days of GA, we kind of didn't really have budgets. We were just sort of winging it. And I literally could reach out to strangers on Twitter and be like, hey, should we just do something? And they'd yeah. be like, okay. Great. And so it was, it was the most fun. And I will say some of my best personal and business relationships came from those years when I had free reign to just meet new people and do creative, cool stuff with them. Yeah. Same, so same. fun. It was so, a good time. All right. So we'll come back to the future now. Mm -hmm. So you're a year and a half in or so with Elephant PR, your PR mm -hmm. company. Um, you're starting to lose that love and feeling and you're like, all right, what the hell am I going to do next? What was the process like of you going from that acknowledgement to deciding what your next thing was going to be? So Ash and I had a business retreat last January, Ash being my business partner with Elephant. And, you know, the first half we were like looking backwards, what's working, what's great, how was the year, numbers, et cetera. And then the next half was like, okay, once we were drunk, we were like, okay, now looking <laughs> forward. And we had decided like, okay, if we did want to transition or start adding a new thing, what would that be? What would that look like? And so we made a list of all the things we love. And it was like dogs, wine, cheese, rosé. So wine was on there twice. <laughs> um, 
And one of the things that we put on there was podcasts. And I've had my own hobby podcast for a couple years, uh, SheePod, Feministy Girl Talk Over Brunch. It's so good, guys. It's fun, yeah. And I have just been a crazy avid listener of radio shows and podcasts for years now, but especially when I moved to Los Angeles and was driving a lot more, it, you know, jumped. Um, and then, you know, podcasts themselves had a moment. And so now there's so many more to listen to. I have like 200 that I subscribe Yeah, my queue is a little stressful. It's big. It's big. <laughs> Uh, but there's just so much great stuff, which is really cool. And Ash listens to a few of them as well. She wasn't as crazy. Uh, she's not as much of a podcast nerd as I am, but she's like into it. And that's within the same wheelhouse of communication. So we were like, well, maybe there's something there. We could start. We'd also had a few clients ask us if we could help them create podcasts. And um, we, and, you know, initially it was just like, oh, that's not what we do. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, why, why not? Why isn't it? And so we agreed to spend the next couple months exploring that and uh, then, you know, reassess in March or April and see how we're feeling. Um, So we did do that. We had a couple uh, consultations with people and conversations um, with potential clients and yeah, we just started, I started doing research and meeting with producers to like ask them what their life was like and their work and all that. Um, so you did informational interviews. Yeah. Informational interviews, um, and exploration. And then in the spring we regrouped and we're sitting on the beach and she was like, I think this is a perfect fit for you. I don't think it's the perfect thing for me. Like I'm just not Oh, you guys kind of broke up. I know. She's like, I'm just not as passionate about it. And she had a, also like our skill sets, we're both communications PR people. So that makes sense if we're doing a PR business together. It doesn't make sense for anything else. Like, <laughs> right, you're like, cool, we're good on PR. Right. <laughs> we need complimentary experiences. And she was like, you need to go find, you know, someone with a background in audio creation um, who can be your partner in this journey. And she has an awesome idea that she's working on as well. A totally different business where it's like consumer packaged goods. I'm like, Oh my God, I will be customer number one, but I would never want to work on that in a million years. Um, And she loves it. So yeah, I mean, we did, we had clients and we kept working together, um, through, you know, 2017, like what year is it? What was last year? (laughs) 2017. Um, and we've now wound it down. She's focused entirely on her new business and I am as well, but I also do have a couple PR clients to, you know, keep the lights on while I'm launching the transition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is so smart. And I think you said a lot of things in there. That's really important for people to hear as they're considering a switch. You know, you didn't just say, I like podcasts. I'm going to make a podcast company. You talk to people who did it. You really thought it through. You like kind of, I'm sure created somewhat of a business plan and identified the need. And well, yeah. And the need, I initially started thinking I would be a production company and just be focused on doing branded content for startups and whoever else, but that's my network. Um, And as I was having these conversations with independent producers and engineers and editors, I realized that there's a different need. I think there is 
there are all these companies who, you know, podcasting is so hot right now and love to dip their toe in and, and add that to their content marketing plan, but they don't know how to get started. Mm -hmm. You have hundreds of thousands of dollars, you can call up like a Gimlet Creative or Pacific right. Content, these, you know, giant shops who do, you know, $300,000 first seasons of branded content. Right. And that's cool. That's good. The stuff they do is awesome. It's, right. you know, next level quality. But for people who are just getting started or don't have that kind of budget or aren't ready to make that sort of investment and they have maybe tens of thousands of dollars as opposed to hundreds of thousands, how they don't know where to go. There's like no obvious place to figure it out. And they don't know what goes into a production of something that people actually want to listen to, you know, and what's the team that they need? What kind of show should they do? So I created and then, oh, sorry. Okay. So that's one side of it. And then on the other side, I'm talking to all these independent folks who, you know, are having to drum up their own business and manage clients and do negotiations. And these guys, like radio people, they're like, they're like AV club. You know? <laughs> they're like really nerds, nerds, sweet nerds. <laughs> who, and I'm obviously generalizing, not everybody. Um, <laughs> they don't love the business side of things. They're creatives. And so, you know, having to negotiate for yourself is really hard and like pushing back on clients when they're asking for extra revisions for free and all that stuff. And those are all the things I'm really good at. I've been managing clients for so long now and I like it. And I love being the go-between between a client and a creative as well, like speaking both languages. I'm sure your mass wholeness comes in handy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and it's so easy for me to negotiate on behalf of someone else. It you know? always is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I created Pod People, podpeople.com, which is a community of all of these awesome, talented freelance audio creators. And there's, you know, everything from producers and editors and sound designers and to composers and hosts. Um, and there's, we've got, I think 150 people now who all have different backgrounds and levels of experience and skill sets and are, you know, geographically all over the States and even a couple in Mexico and Chile and the UK. So, um, it's a really cool group of people. And then on the flip side, we've got this, so we've got this incredible community and now companies can come straight to pod people. We'll help them figure out what kind of show makes the most sense based on their business goals and their content strategy. And, you know, I'll educate them about like what goes into a production because there's, you know, to make something that people really want to listen to, that's beautiful. There's different levels, of course, but like it does take budget. It takes Absolutely. real money and you get what you pay for. So having that conversation, figuring out what kind of budget we should put towards it. Um, and once we figured all that stuff out at the high level, I can turn to the community and put together the most amazing, perfect team uh, of people based on the kind of show they want to do and geography, if that matters for the show and all of that. And then, you know, I'm acting as an advocate and a manager on the producer side and handling all of the contracts and managing the client and all that good stuff. Um, and we actually just launched publicly this week. So that's, I spent the last couple months like onboarding people into the community and now it is built and it is awesome. So exciting. I'm turning my focus now to, uh, you know, turning the megaphone on and letting potential clients know that we exist and how we work and how we can be helpful to them. So I'm sure you get to put your PR hat back on a little bit for that. Yeah, of course. Um, it never goes away. And people remember that. It goes away. Like, even if you switch industries and roles and whatever, you will never start at the beginning because you literally like nobody can take those skills away from you. Nobody can take that experience away from you. 
you will always bring what you've learned with you to the next thing. So that's super important. Yeah, a hundred percent. So what is it about your role right now that's most exciting for you? I think it's building a business that I, A, that it's not the first time. I was so nervous, like trying to figure everything out, like legal stuff and, you know, creating the LLC and accountant and expenses and all that stuff is so overwhelming the first time you do it. Now it's like, okay, I got that. And I am taking the skills that I've, you know, honed over the last 10 to 12 years and, uh, applying them to an industry that I'm really excited about helping, hopefully helping a crew of people that I really like people in the audio world are, they're just good people. Again, AV club, sweet nerds. Like <laughs> they are awesome people who are brilliant creatives and have really cool ideas. And so like every coffee or cocktail I've had with them has been an utter delight. Um, and you know, that's who I'm working with now and to be able to bring them business and opportunities that they wouldn't have had feels good. It's like putting all of my skills together, you know, managing clients and making connections and project management, overseeing, you know, something with a lot of moving parts. Um, I'm, I'm very good at, I feel like you and I are the same in that like spreadsheets for days, color oh, yeah. spreadsheets. Oh yeah. So, and project like Trello, Trello forever. Trello, Trello forever. They're so good. Uh, they're doing it right. You're, I, I mean, I'm about doing a podcast actually. Yeah, you should. Um, um like you have Taco, Taco the dog be the, you know, podcast sponsor. Absolutely. Um, no, I think one final point with what you've done, because it's, it appears to me now, you know, later, and of course this is always how it works out, right? You connect mm -hmm. the dots after the fact, but you're literally doing what I preach with the career experiment philosophy, which is aligning your strengths to a role. So doing something you're just fucking good at aligning your core, your passions and your interests to an industry. So you chose to take all of your talents and your interests to an industry that you were just fascinated by and curious by. And, and it is emerging. So right. there's lots of opportunity there. I had a really awesome call with, I don't know if anyone out there has listened to Dinner Party Download. I love Dinner Party Download. It was my favorite show. I'm so sad that they retired it. Um, Wait, I'm behind. They've yeah, retired. Oh, no. I know. It's heartbreaking. Uh, it's like my go-to when I'm talking yeah. to clients about brilliant show structure and format. So Brendan Francis Noonan saw my post about, about pod people on one of the like radio people listservs and reached out and was like, I'm just really interested in the way the podcast industry is growing and I'd like to chat and learn more about what you're doing. And we had the best call. Just, he's a delight when okay, he answered. I was like, oh my God, it's going. I know. Three of us. Well, he's in New York now, um, but he's back. He's back pretty <laughs> often. So we had just the, I mean, it was, I mean, I was fangirling a little bit too, because I've just been listening to that show forever. And I think they are brilliant. Um, so one of the things he said to me was, he's so glad that people who have like the business skills are starting to come into the podcast industry and build the things that it needs um, because it is, you know, new. And so there's a lot of structure that doesn't exist yet. And, um, you know, things like this, but also like someone eventually will need to solve discovery and like right. Apple finally opening up an analytics platform as of Don't this get me month. started. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I think you're onto something for real, for real. And not only because I'm also a podcast snob, but I mean, <laughs> I trust in Rachel and Rachel, I trust where you go. I see potential. So I'm so excited to follow along and forever grateful for my Twitter friendship. 
Oh, I know. I actually have a hashtag on my ankle that is a hashtag tattoo that I got with a bunch of those blogger friends um, back when I was living in DC because we all met each other on the internet. So we were in Myrtle Beach um, on a trip together and just all decided to go get friendship tattoos. And it's still my favorite one out of all of my tattoos. So that's really funny because I have a bird tattoo and people often think it's the Twitter logo. And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not actually that into Twitter. I kind of hate it most days. (laughs) Mine is a tic-tac-toe board. And I'm like, (laughs) no. Although I guess that might be less weird. I don't know. I mean, to each their own. Yeah. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on this. Everybody definitely check out Pod People. I'm super excited to see where it goes. And and whatever your next 20 things are going to be, I'm down. Yeah. And our Instagram is at Pod PPL. And that is just we're like recommending our favorite stuff that we're listening to. So if you are a podcast person, you can check it out there because I am a snob. So I am curating the best stuff for you there. Oh, thank you for taking all of the work out of this. (laughs) Love you always. Thank you so much. I thank you so much for having me on. This is fun. Well, bye guys.